Welcome to Blackballed, everybody. My name is James D. Fiore, and uh, this is another special day because we have um, probably the most controversial uh, politician in the country. I'm sorry, I got to change all this stuff now because I just realized that I am not uh, broadcasting the right title. Um, hold on a second, everybody, because this is live television, even though it's not television. Uh-huh. I'm just going to erase that. <clears throat> Maxime Bernier is right now on a tour in the Maritimes. And what I like about what he's doing is that there's no election coming up. There is, um, there is though, a need for a political party of any kind, especially ones that don't have any seats in Parliament to, to support. Um, we all know that the convoy thing happened. We all know that a lot of PPC voters and supporters went to that convoy. Um, but now he's in the Maritimes trying to drum up support, and I would like to talk to him about that and a bunch of other things. So welcome to the show, Max Bernier. How are you, buddy? Great, great. Thank you, James. I'm very pleased to be with you. And yeah. I didn't know that it was uh, controversial to uh, do politics uh, differently. Based Listen, on you, it took principles. you six seconds. <laughs> six <laughs> seconds it took you to say it. I told you that's a rule in the show. No, I get it. Um, what are you doing out there for real? Um, and, and how is it going? And how are the people receiving you? And, and just give me an idea about that. It's going well. We started that um, road tour in the beginning of May, the 1st of May. And uh, in New, New Brunswick after that PI. And also we are right now in Nova Scotia. And the goal of uh, my trip over there is to meet our people, our members, uh, to build our riding associations uh, in uh, Atlantic Canada, we we need our writing associations to be stronger, and that's going well. And also, we didn't have, as you may know, a full slate of candidates at the last election. And I'm here also to be sure that we will have candidates in every writing here in uh, Atlantic Canada, because we want to give the opportunity to every Canadian to be able to vote for their values. So it's going well, and um, I'll be in Halifax tomorrow. I'll do other meet and greet, and also we are raising money for our writing associations. So I like it, and also because I was not able to come to Atlantic Canada uh, during the last election. So that's why my first road trip is in Atlantic Canada. When the Green Party um, started out and they um, and they tried to tried to build their party, it took them a long time. Percentage of the vote wise, you and your party has seemed to have grown a little bit faster. But one of the knocks on on the Green Party and Elizabeth May was that when she attempted to run candidates in every riding, you could tell that um, the ground game suffered, and and it seemed like she was um, trying to just appear to be. A well-represented party when really there was probably like at least 100 ridings where it was like just throw someone in there how confident are you that all of your 
candidates are going to be candidates that are well vetted, that aren't going to be a little loopy. The guy that's running that ran for you guys last time in my riding, little loopy, I forget his name, but he looked like Santa Claus and he it's kind of weird. But um, so, yeah, you have a good question there. We are a young political party and we are growing very fast. As you may know, it took 15 years for the Green Party of Canada to have more than 1.6 percent of the vote. And we did that in our first year. So we started in 2018, 0%. First election, 2019, 1.6. Second election for us, 2021, 5%. And we were able to have at our first election about 310 candidates. And the last election, 313 candidates on 338 ridings. And I can tell you the quality of our candidates was better at the last election. And what we are doing right now, we want to be sure to have time to select our candidates. And our goal is to have about 60% of our candidates selected, approved before the end of this year. And like that, they will be able to uh, be in their communities, uh, be present there and, and starting their campaign. So that will help for us before uh, doing that before the general election. Are you finding, because I know that your critics will say no, but are, are you finding that there is a, um, a more broad spectrum of support that you're getting? I know you're going to say yes, but I mean, like, you know, I, I, I tell people this all the time. Listen, I hang out with a lot of progressives and, the, the, you know, they, some of them don't believe me when I tell them, but it is true that I know a handful of people out of all the progressives that I know that were one issue voters the last time around and they voted for you and it was because of free speech. Um, and, and some of them voted for you because of the mandates. Um, I asked you the, a question similar to this last time, but I, I'm just curious if you think that the overall platform of the PPC can attract enough moderates and even some progressives to actually get you viable, get you a viable seat count in the next election. Yeah, that's a great question. And actually, yes, we will be able to do that. Uh, here in Nova Scotia, for example, uh, the people that we recruited to be part of our riding association, they all voted NDP. And so, yes, we can attract people from different political backgrounds. And our platform is a comprehensive one. And actually, you have said it right. At our first election, uh, the main subject for us was immigration. We, still, we are still the only party that... Uh, uh, want uh, uh, is sustainable immigration. We are saying no to mass immigration. But at the second election, actually, because, you know, we created that party on, on four principles, individual freedom and personal responsibility, uh, fairness and, and respect. But at the last election, that was the mandates, that was uh, all the restriction, the, the draconian restrictions that were imposed on Canadians. That was the main subject. I believe at the next election, it can be the economy. But because we have a comprehensive platform, what we are doing during an election time, we cannot speak about everything. But usually we will choose five or six uh, policies that are uh, more important for that election and speak about that. So because of that comprehensive platform on the economy, uh, we are fighting the wokeism and socialism. We have people from different backgrounds that are coming with us. And people believe that it's only the former conservative uh, voters that are coming with us. They may represent uh, maybe a majority or uh, or maybe 30 percent of our supports. But we have people from other party. You know, <laughs> I was in PEI and as you know, in PEI, they voted as the official opposition at the provincial level for the Green Party 
for the Green Party provincially. And, and these people that voted for the Green are with us in our Reading Association because of our values, because of the way that we are doing politics. They know that, that, that we won't change. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't say differently, so I'm good. Um, it reminds me of, um, I don't know if you saw the polling in 2016 in the States when Trump won, but they asked Trump voters who their second choice was. And like five or six million said Bernie Sanders. Mm -hmm. Now, that to me is 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 really interesting because, um, you know, he's a democratic socialist. So there, there seems to be this, um, this middle ground that people, there's like an overlapping of ideas. You come at it from different spots, but there's an overlapping of ideas there. So it doesn't surprise me that, that you know, there's a green official opposition in PEI. I would like to know though, um, if, if you think that you can, uh, if you think you can appeal to that far to the left of the spectrum, if you disparage uh, entire swaths of people by by sort of giving a negative connotation to the word socialist and also uh, just an addendum uh, just uh, to, to add to that if you believe in universal health care or for-profit health care system yeah yeah okay so first I must say that uh, uh, the the NDPs or people who are who are coming with us it's because the 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 NDP at the federal level the, the political party is a woke party right now. And that party is not defending the middle class. And so we are a party. You know, when you speak against inflation, and inflation is a hidden tax, but a regressive tax that is hurting uh, the most vulnerable people in the middle class. If you're rich and you have assets, it's okay. Your assets will go up. But if you don't have these assets and real estate, 6.7% uh, inflation, it's 6.7% a new tax. And people understand that. So we are fighting for Canadians and, and, and middle class and the poor and everybody to keep their purchasing power. So yes, because of our platform and because we, we that platform will be the same for each election so they can trust us. So they're coming. And about your question about the healthcare system, Actually, I had that question here in uh, New, Brun uh, New Brunswick when I was there. And, you know, the, the solution, we have the solution at the federal level because we want to give these uh, all provinces the, the means to, to their responsibilities. So they are in charge of health care, but they cannot raise money for health care. We want to give to provinces the GST, all the revenues that is going to the federal government for the GST, $40 billion a year, that will go to provinces. And now, you know, they will have the resources for their responsibility. And so that would be at the provincial level if they will have more private delivery or less private delivery. But we will, go, we will give the right incentive to uh, provinces to do some changes because they won't be able to solve the healthcare uh, challenges that we're having right now by always putting more money, more money. Now it's about between 45% and 50% of provincial budget for healthcare. So more money won't solve the problem. We need to have a system like in Europe where you have a universal coverage for everybody and you can choose to go to a private hospital or public hospital and you have competition inside the system. But that, that won't be us who will implement that. We will give all the resources to provinces and instead of always asking the federal government for more money, more money, Canadians will know who to blame for their waiting times and waiting lists. 
they will know to blame. That will be the provincial government because the provincial government will have all the, the resources and the way to raise money for health care. So we will put responsibilities at the right pl place. So it, at Ottawa, we don't manage any hospital. We don't know anything about that. And I don't like to raise taxes. I will let that to provinces and that will be in line with our constitution. And yes, maybe in some provinces, you'll have more private delivery and in other provinces, you'll have less private delivery. That so that's essentially a, a two tier. That's essentially a two tier system, right? Like I know that has a negative connotation to it, but that's what you're saying. There's going to be some public and some private. And some that's provinces. a mixed system. That's a mixed system like in Europe, like in Sweden, like in Switzerland, like in these country not like in the us because we'll have a new universal coverage that's important so and these systems are more efficient over there they are spending less money on healthcare than we are doing here in canada they are more efficient they don't have any waiting times waiting list um i'm going to play you a clip and i just want to know what you think of this um and the reason why i'm playing it is because it, 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 i think you would agree that like um the convoy the average convoy protester rolling thunder whatever you want to call the other one um is is probably leans right um a lot of them probably support you um and i i want to preamble this by saying i am not saying that you're responsible for any of this i just want to know what you think when you see this I don't support that. I don't like that kind of be that that kind of behavior. Uh, people are, are free to express themselves without any violence. But I understand at the same time the frustration of Canadians. You know, when you have this mandate, I saw people. Okay, sorry about that. Uh, the something froze there for a second. Did you have you seen that clip before? That was uh, that was Jagmeet Singh walking out of a a diner or something in Peterborough and getting accosted. I would say verbally assaulted. I would say like you know a yeah, little absolutely. bit aggressive. Yeah, I, I don't. Um, yeah, so, like, I, like I said before, I don't support that kind of behavior. But I understand the frustration of Canadians. I've met people here that lost their job because of the mandates. There's no reason for that. That's not based on science. That's not logical. And they understand that we are doing discrimination in this country. So when you have a politician that is doing that segregation and discrimination and voted for Trudeau, like the conservative also, you know, I understand that frustration. But uh, when I was in Ottawa, that was a peaceful protests and people were very happy to be there because they knew that what they were doing will have an impact and that had an impact actually because after that uh, a lot of provinces starting that saskatchewan alberta 
lift all their uh, restrictions. Hi, I'm Emily Roger, and I host a leadership show called The Boiling Point with my co-host, Dave Vale. Together, we sit down with trailblazing entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and movement makers who are driving meaningful change in our world. The show is all about exploring the lives and perspectives of leaders who are making a difference. Join us for insightful conversations that challenge the status quo, spark new ideas, and inspire you to take action. Find us on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or at BoilingPointPodcast.com. Have you ever thought, I'd love to have a podcast just like this one? Well, I can help. My name is Matt Kundal, and everyone at my company, the Sound Off Podcast Network, had a hand in making this show. Whether it was about the sound, the discoverability, or that you're just enjoying the show, we are all about the detail. If you think you have a podcast in you, reach out to me via email, matt at soundoff.network. Or check out the website and become one of the great podcasts we work with at soundoff.network. Um, do you think that this is a like a, you know, a canary in a coal mine situation? Like, do you, do you see civics and civility maybe itself getting worse or better because i i I see it since the pandemic began um with the protests in the states in 2020 um the things that are happening here and i listen i'm one of those guys that didn't think the convoy i thought it was blown out of proportion a little bit the worst thing about the convoy to me was the horns (laughs) you know it was just a little disruptive but um when i see clips like that i think I'm, I'm of two thoughts. One of them is that um, I don't know if these people understand that um, Jagmeet Singh, he, he might be sort of propping up uh, Justin Trudeau at this time with his with that sort of flimsy coalition. But he's not really the enemy, I don't think. Um, I, I don't really understand how a person um, thinks that um, you're a fucking traitor, giving him the finger, telling him to fuck off. I'm not sure Jagmeet is responsible for any of those people losing anything. And so while I can understand the frustration of an individual for losing their job, why is he a target like that? Because, and I'll tell you, the racial part is going to come into the discussion a little bit. I know that Trudeau gets it too. So, but he's the prime minister. So every time there's a prime minister, they're going to get it from somewhere. But there just seems to be a little extra oomph when it comes to the guy wearing a turban. And and I'm just, you know, I'm trying to figure out, listen, you, you, your immigration policies, I don't think that they're horrible. Like, you know, you want it to down to what, 120,000 or something? I can't remember what the exact number is. 150 um, a year. Right. 150,000 a year. Right. Which, which which proportionally puts us better than the states when there's a democratic government in there. So it's not like it's a racist policy. But if you happen to be a racist, you're probably going to like the party that has the least amount of like uh, um, immigrants coming to your country in the policy. So you you unfortunately have to juggle that. Right. And I get I get why it's frustrating, but but you do. You have to juggle that. But when I see that, I'm just I'm a little bit I'm not proud of my country. I I don't think frustration should be expressed like that. You know, like they can do it. They have free speech, yada, yada. But it just makes me feel a little embarrassed. Yeah, yeah, but you said in the beginning that uh, you think that uh, Jack Singh is not responsible of the mandates. I don't agree with that. Jack Singh, uh, uh, the conservatives, the liberals, they all voted for these mandates. They all voted for lockdowns. They all, when I'm saying that, they all voted for a big deficit 
$450 billion and all these programs, and now we have inflation, but because of these programs and that deficit, it's, it's why the provincial governments were able to do lockdowns and, and because they knew that they will receive compensation from the federal government. So these establishment politicians, every one of them, of them are responsible for that. They, they, they gave all the, the, uh, the incentive for provinces to put lockdowns and stay at home orders with the money coming from the federal government. And we didn't have any opposition in Ottawa during the last two years. We were the real opposition, we the PPC, the conservative liberals and, and, and NDPs and Bloc Québécois and Green agreed with that. And they were asking for more. The conservatives were asking for more during that time, you know, shut down our borders and, and, and all these mandates. And I understand that frustration. I'm seeing people like that in my tour every day. They are crying in my arms saying, you know, I lost my job for the last year and, and I don't know what to do because of my personal medical choice. I understand their frustration. That's not that's against our constitution. So that must end. And I was the only only leader of a national party during the last election and all during all these two years of COVID hysteria to say we must unite everybody under the freedom umbrella. We must we must respect freedom of choice. I was the only one. And in the beginning, they were looking at me, Bernie, you're crazy and blah, blah, blah. Now it's popular to speak about freedom because all these mandates are over, almost them, except at the federal level. I cannot travel mm. by plane, as you know, there's no logic. It's not logical <laughs> and that's based on science. But now are you allowed to travel by to... are you allowed to travel by helicopter? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> That's another point. I don't think so. But but now it's popular and you have these conservatives in, in the in the leadership contest that are yes for freedom, yes for freedom. You know, you must judge a politician by his or her actions. And, and that will tell you everything. I was, you know, that's for me, freedom is not it's not new. In 2006, when I decided to be a politician, I was speaking about freedom. I was seeing, I was seeing, I, I was seeing, uh, sorry, I was seeing at that time that we were not free in Canada because when 50% of your salary is going to taxes at the municipal, provincial, and federal level, when the tax freedom day is the 1st of Ju July, you're working six months for the government. So you're like a slave. The government is telling you, do what to do, but I will take half of your salary. And the 1st of July, you can keep all your salary until the end of the year. So mm. for me, I was saying that in 2006, Bernier were looking, people were looking at me, Bernier, no, we're free now. And I believe that a lot of people understand that we are not in a free country anymore. Well, what's interesting, um, I don't want to talk about COVID. I, I, I was going to do this whole interview without talking about COVID. So I uh, appreciate your thoughts. I disagree with a bunch of it, but I don't really want to talk. I, I'm, I'm done talking about COVID. But, um, but you <laughs> did mention also. I must say I'm tired also, James. Yeah, well, I, I, it's just that we, we've talked, you and I have talked for hours now over the last yeah. couple of years, and, and I'm just, eh, I just, I don't, I don't have anything left to say. I, I, I think that there's so many unknowns um, that I don't even know how to approach the argument because I'm not a medical person and whatever. Anyways, but you did mention the leadership race. You alluded to the leadership race. And Pierre Polyev seems to be um, trying his best to poach a lot of the people who um, were, were angry at the government. I find it interesting, and maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong. I find it interesting that 
Pierre Polyev, whether or not you believe him or not, sounds a lot more like Max Bernier right now than he does Aaron O'Toole or Andrew Scheer in, in the way that he's trying to court these voters. In the past, and you were part of these governments in the Harper government, um, they would they would uh, play footsies with, with that part of their base, freedom, libertarian, religious people, uh, uh, pro-lifers, all that kind of stuff. And then when it came to the general election, they would basically abandon them and try to give the impression that they were going towards the middle. Um, I, I am of the mind that Pierre Polyev is going to be the first conservative leader in a long time, if he wins the leadership race, and it kind of looks like he will, who won't employ that strategy, who will, who will stay hard right and, and roll the dice there because it hasn't worked for them to do that conservative two-step that they normally do before. Why? Do, what do you think about that? And do you think he's and do you think that he will remain sort of faithful to that part of the base? I don't think so. Yes, you're right. They tried that strategy the last two elections, and it didn't work. Uh, their only goal of the Conservative Party of Canada is to be in power. That's why you know they, they don't have any conviction. They're doing politics by survey and polling. The best example for, example for Pierre Polyev, where were he? The last two years he didn't speak about freedom you know uh, he were nowhere to be seen because you know it was not popular at that time if you look at the survey and polling that they did at that time 65 percent of the population were were happy with uh, lockdowns and stay-at-home order because of the propaganda and the fear so he was not speaking about that now he's speaking about that and i understand why because your conservative party is supposed to be conservative and they know that if you speak like a conservative you will win the leadership like i did that in 2017 i didn't win with 49 percent of the vote o'toole did it he said i'm a true blue and uh, to win the leadership and after that the the the, the establishment of the party went to the left because they need votes in the gta that's only that there's more ridings in the gta than in all alberta and if they want to win and to be in government and pierre polyev will want to be prime minister i can tell you that they will have to go to the left to please the big cities toronto and vancouver so they don't have any conviction pierre polyev will speak like a conservative after his leadership, I agree with that. He is a little bit wise, wiser than O'Toole, and he will show everybody that he's a real, he's a real conservative. But a couple of months with, before the election, they will do polling and focus group, and uh, you know he will uh, go back to the left. That's what they're going to do. Actually, now he's only speaking, and he doesn't have real solution. He doesn't speak about you know <laughs> mass immigration. He is speaking about housing and the cost of housing and the prices, but the solution is saying no to mass immigration. Actually, the finance minister, Minister Freeland, said it in a press conference. It's a question of numbers. It's a mathematical question. We have too many people that are coming to Canada and we don't have houses, houses for them. So the solution right. is saying no to mass immigration, not 450,000 a year. All these people, not all, sorry, 40% of them are going to Toronto and Vancouver. That's why the okay. price of housing over there is going up. But after that, James, people living in Toronto and Vancouver are leaving these cities and are going in other cities and prices of houses in other cities across the country is going up. That so happened the solution to me. For, yeah. Yeah, that, that I, I left Toronto because we were priced out after our second child, and we we wow. know, our so combined you're, you're income wasn't. 
Our combined income wasn't going to do it. Gyms. Yeah, you're the and, best but, but I but I moved to the sticks, and I live in a town of like 800 people. I work in Barry's Bay, which is like 2,000 people or something. <clears throat> and um, the the market here, mostly because of the pandemic, because the pandemic made people realize that they could work virtually. And so they all head to the country. And now the, the market in this area has gone up like 30%. Um, we don't have much time because I, I, I think you only have like five minutes. or um, yeah, so... yeah, because I, I have another event this afternoon here. Okay. Um, now, but the mathematics would also say that um, in order for the PPC to compete in the next election, they also need the vote-rich Toronto urban areas as well. So how are you going to um, reconcile um, remaining hard right, I would say, not far alt-right, but you're you're <laughs> very right-wing, right? You don't mind me, me saying that. How are you going to reconcile the mathematics of, of a seat count if you don't try to, um, you know, go back to the center on certain issues. Like, like if you say you can't run and say that we're going to allow the provinces to have a mixed or two tier healthcare system. I, I'm not sure that that is going to be a winning card for you. James, James, sorry. I said that at the first election in 2019, I spoke about that. You can see speeches of me speaking about that. I was, yes. But how did you do in that election? Uh, we had for the first election we had 1.6 percent. We did better than the Green. It took 15 years for them to have that. We are right. the fastest but you see, but you got, party. Right, 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 right. right. I got it, got it. But you got my, you get my, you get my greater point. Uh, yeah, that, but like, my, my, my goal, my goal, is to grow the party at the next election. From five, we can go. I don't know, 10, 15, but also to have some people elected step by step. So answering your question, we mm -hmm. won't change our platform, James. It's the same platform. It will be the same one next election. That's why you don't like it when I'm saying that we are doing da, da, politics da, differently. Da, da. <sighs> <laughs> I'm going to find you. I'm going to have a little total at the bottom of the screen next time. Um, let's let's end it on a light note and talk about abortion. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah. Where do you stand on it? And, and what do you think uh, the, the Supreme Court decision in the States uh, will, if any, will have any impact uh, in Canada? No, I don't think it will have an impact in Canada. The only impact that we have right now is we are we are speaking about it because of because it's, it is in the news in the U.S., but mm -hmm. uh, it won't have any impact at the federal level. I don't believe that we'll have a legislation on abortion in Canada, but because also we are the only political party that is ready to open the debate. I saw Pierre Polyev yesterday at the at their debate, the conservative debate, and he said he's pro-choice and he doesn't want to open the debate. But I believe, what are you? What are uh, you? But but for me, for me, the uh, the People's Party don't have any position on abortion, and we won't. We are welcoming uh, <coughs> free free choice people, uh, and we are coming also. Uh, people that are ready to reopen the abortion debate. We are saying to them, you can run with us and it will be your right to table a bill on any subject. That's the right of a member of parliament. They can table a private bill. And yes, I said that to journalists in English and in French at the last campaign, that as a leader, I will, I will let that debate happen and we'll see what will happen. And the second question that the journalist asked me is just the one that you asked me about what is my personal position? my personal position, and I just add that it would be a free vote for everybody. But as a leader, yes, I want that debate, debate to be reopened because it's not normal normal in, in this country that you can have an abortion an hour before giving birth. And I'm against 
against late-term abortion because at that time it's a murder and I'm against sex selection abortion. So that's my personal position. I believe Those account that- for like less than a percent of abortions though. So so what, I, what I'm getting out of this is that you're pro-choice, um, but you, you want certain limits. So that means that they're like, so right now it's decriminalized. So there's no abortion law on the books. And yes. so I, it's funny because what you're saying, I've, I'm hearing a lot more people from the left say this too, is that the reason why the abortion, um, why pro-choice activists feel like uh, the abortion rights might be in danger is because there's no laws on the books. So, so what I'm gathering from this interview is that you, um, you sound like you're pro-choice, but you don't want to have those two instances, sex selection abortions and late-term abortions to happen. Um, most and I'm not of afraid, the... and I'm not afraid to debate that. Like you know, and it's part it's part of our platform. It's it's uh, it will be a free vote for everybody, and and we are welcoming people with different point of view of on that. And and yes, we'll have we need to have a debate in the house, and we'll see what will happen. But the conservative, the liberals, don't want to have any debate on that, and I don't agree with them. Okay. I wish we had more time. Um, I wanted to bust your balls a little bit about coming here and smoking weed. Um, but remember, you promised that you'd have a beer and smoke a joint with me when uh, when you get back from your trip. I live near Ottawa, like two hours away from Ottawa near Pembroke. So we'll try to make that happen. Um, I got a lot of emails from people when I said I was having you on. And once again, um, they were like, why are you giving that guy a platform? So um, I'm happy to have you back anytime. I'm not sure how much we described. I'm sorry about the technical difficulties at the beginning. I'm not sure how much we actually got out that I was hoping to, but it's always a pleasure speaking with you. Uh, This is Maxime Bernier from the People's Party of Canada. Thanks, Max. I appreciate it. Thank you, James. I appreciate that. I like to have these uh, kind of conversation with you. Yep. Thank you, man. Uh, We'll we'll talk soon. Um, I I have to wrap this up pretty quick because the Dean Blundell show is is about to start. Um, Yeah. I fucked up a little bit today, guys. I'm sorry about that. I, I, I put the wrong label, I think, on the show. Um, I had some tech difficulties behind the scene. But anyways, um, that was uh, shorter than what I would like. Um, I, you know, the, the, I did let him sort of sloganeer a little bit. Um, and uh, not my best work, but a total disaster. Um, please stop sending me emails telling me not to give him a platform. Guys, we need to sit down and talk to each other. We can't just point fingers and yell. Otherwise, you know better than those people that were accosting Jagmeet Singh. So um, give me a break, please. Uh, I, don't, I don't need that in my life. Um, but I appreciate this. Um, listen, we have a lot uh, coming up on Blackballed. I'm just gonna give a quick um, uh, rundown of who we have coming up. Um, I'm trying to figure out where to put Phil Demers, the guy that uh, the, that Marineland is suing. Uh, he'll be on sometime soon. But I have the author of Between Two De- Caught Between Two Devils, Mark Creedon. I have Max Fawcett, the journalist, coming up on the 17th. I have Steve Pakin on the 19th. And I have a world-famous, best-selling author who sold millions of books, Linwood Barkley on the 24th, and The King of Fishing. My, my elementary school chum, Dave Mercer, on the 26th. I'm also going to fill in some slots between now and then. I'm going to get out of here so that Dean and the boys can do their show. Um, I'm looking forward to Lachlan and Dean disparaging me while I'm not there so I can diss them in the chats. Um, I'm just kidding. I love all you guys. Ryan, good luck with everything today, and we'll talk soon. Thanks, everybody. I appreciate it, and uh, we'll see you next time. Black 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 
Hey listeners, I'm Christy. And I'm Melissa. And this is Buried Motives, where we dig deep into the details of some of the most gruesome dirtbag murderers. She said she enjoyed hurting things that can't fight back. And that is a disturbing view into the mind of a murderer. Such a dirtbag. Yeah, that's not even strong enough words. This is totally a recipe for disaster. And not to justify whatever is going to happen, but you can totally understand and see how this would be in the works. If you were only to look at what she did later on and not know any of that history, she would appear like off the wall crazy. Oh, 100%. Because we're not even close to getting to the end yet. But you can just see this pattern and all this kind of stuff developing in her, which is what we're here for. We're digging deep. Join us each Thursday as we unearth the dirt bags that live among us and the motives buried there. Hope you join us as we exhume the truth. Do, did, will. The Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holawati from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network. <laughs>